And I wanted to start out at, uh, at verse 7 again, just briefly. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. We ended there last week. You know, one of the things that we have been looking at in this epistle is that, you know, the Christian life is a, it's a life to be lived. Uh, it's the life of the Lord Jesus Christ living through us, but it's a changed life. We've gone through so much of the New Testament that not only proves that, but that's what separates one who truly is born again in Christ. It's a life that grows. It's a life that's not stagnant. We see it so much through the scriptures, but one of the definitions I love is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18, where it says that the light of dawn shines brighter and brighter and brighter until the perfect day. That is a great illustration of the Christian life. You know, we, uh, we, we come to the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. We turn from our sin. We accept him as our, as our Savior, as our Lord. Um, his life is, is deposited within us. And we start growing. You know, one of the prevailing uh, woes, if you will, of, of this church through through the centuries is a lot of people have written about it, talked about it, uh, talked against it. Uh, a lot of God has set up a lot of watchmen, especially to the church, to uh, denounce the stagnant uh, situation of the church. The church is. Uh, Instead of growing in Christ, they seem to either be stagnant and come to a certain place and are satisfied with it, but they don't go on to maturity. They don't go on to uh, experience what this Christian life is all about. You know, as we've talked about before, the time is short. And we see that all over the Scripture. You know, if they were talking about it in the first century, uh, how much... Well, Paul says it this way. He said, our, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And if you look at the, the scripture abounding with admonition for us to wake up, you know. Um, and we only say it because people think, well, how can you always harp on that? There's always people that talk that are kind of stringent. And they always say, well, you know, you always tell us we're not doing enough. There is the problem. We're not doing enough. Maybe you should stop trying to do and be and let Christ, through the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures, live His life through you. Amen. That is the Christian life. And there is the crux, okay? A lot of times in, in a church or an organization or uh, as people seek to learn about God, Satan will constantly appeal to that form of nature, we should be doing something. We should be doing something. We should be out uh, doing something that of our own strength. The Christian life, brethren, is the Lord living his life through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. How does he do that? The scriptures. When we study the scriptures, we understand that we are a temple. We're a temple of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means that the Holy Spirit takes his residence in fallible jars of clay like us. And that's why Paul says, when I'm weak, he's strong. So that the preeminence might be of Christ and not of us. This Christian life is uh, it's very dynamic. Uh, it's supernatural. And we can't go very far in the scriptures until we realize that this Christian life is not of us. It's of Him. What I want to know is, why don't we see genuine Christian character more? You know, statistically, there are people that are leaving the church in droves because they don't see any validity in it. Yeah. Simply put, it's power. The Christian life is power. <coughs> but it's not our power. It's the power of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. Through power, God raised His Son from the dead. And that same power works in us who believe. That's power. But we must be willing to submit You know, we, we, uh, 
We had a few people the other day that uh, came to the door. And unfortunately, I didn't get to spend too much time with them, but uh, they were of a, of a they were Mormons. They were of of that persuasion. They, oh, we believe in the Bible. Well, you your your religion does not teach the Jesus of the Bible. Oh, yeah, we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Bible. There's a lot of people who believe in the Bible. There's a lot of Christians that believe in the Bible. The Bible is powerful. The Bible is not like any other book in the world. It's God's <coughs> revelation to man, so we cannot read it like any other book in the world. We cannot come to an expecting to master it. It must master us. I want to, I want to build a reservoir in the scripture to the point where the Holy Spirit has massive amounts of the word to dwell to, to uh, use, if you will, in my mind. Again, last week we touched on uh, verse 7 a little bit. But it is a turning point, if you will, in this, this epistle, I believe. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Be serious. The end of all things is at hand. What does he mean, the end of all things? The end of this age is at hand. Christ is coming back. The cup of iniquity is pretty full. In fact, the way I see it from the scriptures, it's starting to run over. So if it's the end of all things, what should our conduct be? I quoted last week uh, from Tim LaHaye. He said, followers of Jesus Christ should always conduct their lives with seriousness. By the way, he went to be home with the Lord about a month ago. The conduct of, of believers and followers of Christ should always be with seriousness, watchfulness, and prayer. Because we not only don't know the day of the hour when our Lord will come, but we don't know who we are going to affect. We don't know if you are going to be the last one somebody sees the reality of this God. There are so many cults out there, so much false teaching. So, you know, we have a handout back there, and the, uh, it's called a seriousness of false teaching. And all we did was, was use scripture. There was no comment, but we used it from, from uh, you know, notating a Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah. We could have gone through all the minor prophets, all the prophets, but we used them and, and had some really short comments that the scripture makes. God says that I didn't send these prophets, but they ran anyway. I didn't send them, but they're always running of their own accord. Then we go through, through, Je through what Jesus said. Beware. There's going to be many false prophets. People will come to you in, in wolves and sheep's clothing. Many will say to you, there's the Christ. Here he is. Don't, don't believe them. Many will come in my name. Then we go through the, the apostles, through Paul, through Peter, through John, and just to glean a little bit of what, they, what each of them say. There is a voice out there. If somebody wants to be religious, believe me, there is enough demonic influence out there. That void will be filled. So what makes the difference between us, brethren, and the rest of the church? Seriousness. I want to start with that this morning. Are we serious about knowing God? Are we serious about following His Word? I just read the other day of a famous pastor's son and must break his heart who is taking over this seeker-friendly, this new evangelism by the wave. He has, he has counterparts on the West Coast that got that part covered. He has counterparts in the Midwest that have that covered. He's on the East Coast they have that covered. And you know what his conclusion is? I have come to the conclusion that the first chapters of Genesis are myth. 
And he's taking people by the storm. The, the, the article of the research of this guy says tens of thousands of U.S. pastors are reading this guy's material and forming their opinion and their sermons after it. Now when Jesus said there will be many that will come in my name, he means that, many. In the last days, don't be fooled. And one of the secrets of the enemy will be, hey, lighten up a bit. Just lighten up, man. Why can't, why can't, you know, just because you're a pastor doesn't mean you can't drink two or three beers. Or just because, you know, come on, lighten up a bit. You know what? We have no time to lighten up, do we? Do we? We have no time to lighten up here. But on the same point, this is what, this is where the Word of God is so profound. The more we get serious about Christ, you want joy in your life? Get serious about Christ. You want joy in your life? Know the Word of God. You want joy in your life? Get to be part of somebody else's life. Invest yourself. Lay your life down for the brethren. Jesus made an astounding statement that runs against the gamut of human uh, nature. I did not come to be served. I came to serve and give my life a ransom for many. We are to imitate Him. We are to give our life for the service and the sake of others. Jesus said, you've been given freely, now go out and freely give. I've been saved by the blood of Christ. My Lord took upon Himself my sin. I'm free, I'm forgiven. I am forgiven. What people need in the world today is forgiveness of sins. You're not hearing that today. You're hearing, you're hearing all other kinds of things. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to give you the Great Commission. I want you to go out and prepare a place for me. Wait a minute, I thought he said that for me. I thought he said, I go away and prepare a place for you. Now the big thing that's emerged in church is we need to build this place for Christ. We need to change the world. No, we need to snatch souls out of the fire. We need to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. Because Christ is coming. The end of the world is here. Quite frankly, the long-suffering of God amazes me. Because there are still people out there that need Him, that will come to Him. And you might be the only one that they run into before that car accident, or that death of cancer, or what have you. Serious? The end of all things is at hand. Folks, the, it's, go, it's over. It's coming to an end. And people say, well, wait a minute, that really interrupts my plans. You know? That really interrupts my day-to-day -day plans. In fact, it interrupts my future. I'm just about ready to retire. Or I am retired, or whatever. And that really goes counterpart with what I want to do. I'm sorry. We cannot get to the way that we were before. But I'll tell you one thing, and I assure you by the Word of God, and implore you, if not beg you, if that's a better word, to check this out. The more serious we are about our loving God, the more joy will be in your life. You don't have any joy? Are you serious about the Lord? Are you serious about His Word? Or would you rather, you know, just kind of, you you want to you, you wanna be religious enough to, to satisfy your burning conscience, but you want to be in the world enough to be okay, you know? Well, everybody's got to make it in this world. Who has charge over us? Whose palm of our hand are we in? Or whose hand, excuse me, are we in? Are we in the palm of our self-sustaining, I can do it hand? Or are we in the palm of a creator's hand that promises to do everything for our needs, not our greeds? Who promises, like Paul says, that the things that I've committed unto him, he's going to guard and keep against that day. Do, the Apostle Paul says, you know what, I've been through so much, but, but he's going to safely bring him in, us into his kingdom. Are we serious? I never forget Paul when he was 
obviously having problems with people thinking he was too strict and too harsh. Who is this guy? He's not good to look at. He's small. He trembles. He's probably got something oozing out of his eye. Who knows what his eye redemption is. He can't speak well. And he's coming to us and he's telling us this and this and this. And that's why he has to make the statement, do I love you? God knows I love you. Listen to what James says. James chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. You don't have to go there. You can if you want. It's just a flip back a little bit. But listen to these words. James chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. He says these. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. You know, people can't understand this concept of being serious. I know what it's like to be serious, and I know what it's like not to be serious. I'll give you an example. You men that are married, try not being serious about your marriage. See how good that goes. It's not going to go very well. You that are in business for yourself, stop being serious about your business. See how good that goes. We could go on and on. Don't be serious about your kids at all. See where that goes. In fact, you know what? Why don't you just not be serious about your bank account? and Just do whatever you want with your money. See where that goes. But we're to be serious about our life. Serious about our conduct. Serious about how we live at home. Serious about how we live in front of non-believers as well as believers. You know, non-believers, they want to know the truth. But some lukewarm Christians want to find an excuse for behavior that's a little bit loose. And if they see it in you or I, that gives them an excuse to do what they want to do. Instead of being serious about Christ. And when they see the genuine joy, not the pearly whites all the time, but the genuine joy, that, that uh, inner gladness that goes out because of our seriousness of Christ. Wow. That is amazing. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Look at verse 8. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Let me read down at the end of the chapter, and then we'll get back to our text. Love will cover a multitude of sins. Verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. But above all things, verse 8, have fervent love for one another. Coming off of a solemn warning, verse 7, love will be the hallmark of true followers of Jesus Christ. Seriousness. Are you serious about loving one another? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 12. This is astounding. About the last days, this is called Olivet Discourse. He says, because lawlessness will abound the love of many will grow cold. 
You have the coldness of the world. You have the lukewarmness of half-hearted people that don't really want to be totally committed to Christ and are falling by the wayside, which, by the way, are headlong into apostasy. But yet, you have those that are serious about Christ, those that are His, those that follow Him, that love Him and love His Word. I will not tolerate nor stand at anybody desecrating His Word putting things in there that shouldn't be in there. False teachers abound. What a warning come up. Being serious, this is one thing it produces, is love, fervent love for one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Wow. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another. Receive one another. Love one another. You know, when we stand before the Lord, our motives and everything will be revealed. You know, He sees them all. When we're really serious about the things of God and serious about Christ, but you know what? I am serious about the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells within me. I'm His temple. To be serious is to know that the love of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, the Scripture said, the more serious I am about Christ and the more in love I am with Him and His Word, I'm going to love one another. That's what He tells me to do. I'm going to be hospitable, verse 9. And I'm going to start understanding, going into verse 10, what He has for me. Do you know that each of us have gifts? Let me tell you, you're not going to, you're not going to be... Uh, employing that gift or discovering that gift when, when we're half-hearted, we're not serious. And what I mean by not serious, what do we do with each day when we get up in the morning? You know, they're His. Each day is His. You would all be in heaven right now unless God had something for you to accomplish on this earth. He desires to, that we would be with Him more than we desire it. Not only precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints, but we can go elsewhere. He has a burning desire that we would be with Him. That's what the cross of Christ is all about. You and I are here now because God has a specific thing that He wants to use or His life He wants to live through us. We need to be serious about that. We sow now in tears, but we're going to reap in joy. This dunghill, if you will, this earth has nothing for us. No pleasure can match the pleasure of being in the center of God's will. No pleasure on this earth can match the, the fellowship of Christ. No pleasure on this earth can, can even come close to abiding in Him and fellowshipping with Him. Who promised, by the way, to never leave us or forsake us? To never fail us? Wow. What are we doing? We need to tell the church that's asleep to wake up and realize that Christ is not only right at the door, but He's so zealous that we would drop everything and fall in love with Him afresh because He's worthy. The end of all things is hand. He's coming back. We need to be serious. Let's get serious about loving one another for Christ's sake. Let's get serious about sharing the gospel and in, our, in word and deed because Christ said that I want you to go out and share the gospel to all creation, teaching them the things I have told you and taught you, baptizing them, teaching them the things I've told. This church has gone astray. This professing church was teaching the things that Christ taught them. 
We've gone astray from making disciples. We've gone astray from maturing people. Because we don't care. Our self-centered lives are more important. We're not serious about the things of God. Look at Peter. Before. Was he serious about Jesus Christ? Oh, he made great professions. The Father used him. Jesus said that when when uh, he says, who do, who do the people say that I am? And, and it was Peter that said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You didn't learn out of some textbook or even from the Scriptures themselves. It's my Father who's made this known to you. And yet we see... Uh, Absolute atrocity. We see a man trying in his own strength to, to be a follower of this, of this individual. And he failed. He failed miserably. And we're going to get into that hopefully in a little bit. But, but look what happened when the Holy Spirit came and, and he regenerated and he was a changed man. This is the one now that is saying, be serious. I was just reading some old documents this morning that that uh, there's many, many people that confirm the fact of the tradition. They're finding more and more of the ancient writings of, of uh, you know, uh, the fathers, if you will, of Peter's yearning desire, if you're going to crucify me, I do not flinch from this, but you will not crucify me in the same position as my Lord. That is a man who is serious about Christ. That is a man who, who, instead of going out to the streets and of Jerusalem weeping bitterly because he tried in the strength of his own flesh to follow Christ, but now he's the one to dwell by the Spirit, following his Master, and he's a changed man. He is serious about Christ. We need to be as well, hospitable to one another. Verse 9. Without grumbling. Look at verse 10. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Good stewards. There are some that claim to be Christians that are more concerned about their, their stewardship of their money or their plans or their vacations or their uh, whatever. We're told to be good stewards of the, of the gift that God has given us. I want to read something from 1 Corinthians chapter 4 or excuse me, chapter 12, verse 4. Just listen to this, Okay. 1 Corinthians 12, 4, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the same Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing, by the same Spirit, to another the works of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation. But this one and the self-same Spirit works all things, distributing to him who he seems fit. And I just want to bring that up and listen to, uh, listen to what Jesus, the parable in Matthew 25, and by no means is this a, a this is a wonderful time to look at the importance of using what God has given us all. Matthew 25, verse 14 and on. Remember this parable? For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered goods to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. And then, this is Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, if you're following along. But I want to show you here this, verse 15, that one he gave five, to the other two, to the other one. Each according to his own ability. God doesn't require anything from you that he cannot accomplish through you. Let me say that again. God will not acquire anything through you that he cannot accomplish through you. He gives to you according to your ability. 
And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had the, received the five talents went and traded with them and made five more talents. Verse 17, likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received the one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of these servants came and settled accounts with them. And so he had received the five talents, came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents, and look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. As Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of that Lord. Then he had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy servant, you knew that I reaped where I had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming would have received back my own with interest. He says, Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. And we know from this, he has a, a woeful pronouncement. Take him out of the outer darkness and so forth. Now, without spiritualizing the text, who is serious? Who is serious about the Lord? Was it the one that had the five talents and the two talents? Absolutely. They were entrusted to him. His master's business was their command. Jesus said, go. Go into all the world. This is our world right here. Our wives, husbands, are our world right here. You pastors that are listening here, if you do listen, your pulpit is your world immediately to those. We don't have time to decipher when we can be at ease and when we cannot be at ease. And remember, all this because God loves you and He wants fellowship with you. You know... When we come off of this battlefield that we're in, this life, it's the Lord that is going to bring us off. It's the Lord that's going to call us home. It's the Lord that is going to shine in all the brightness of the sun and the glory of his Father's kingdom as we stand before him in the perfect resurrected body with our souls and our spirits. We're completely, can you imagine that? The Bible says that our body is going to be like his. We're going to stand before him, face to face, giving an account of our life down here. Does it mean much to you? Does being a Christian more of a status symbol? Or, or is it something that, uh, again, it, it makes more sense out of all the other religions? Or is it because you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? And that your sins are forgiven. And that you're, you're no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirits, which are God's. Paul said an amazing thing. Paul, the Apostle Paul, said that whether by life or by death, Christ will be glorified in my body, whether I live or I die. If I die, it's going to be in His service. If I live, it's going to be in His service. He says that for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. Minister your gifts. We all have gifts. We all have opportunities to be an ambassador for Christ. I know some of my gifts and I will do it to the, the strength that Christ supplies. 
That's why there's a lot of people that are falling down as they are so trying in their own energy to fulfill what they feel that God has displayed upon them or bestowed upon them. It's the manifold grace of God. Look at verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. That is the key, folks. It's what God supplies. Because we're so enamored with Him. We're so involved in Him. We're so in love with Him. We take our life seriously. You want to see serious? You want to know how much Jesus desires you to be a joyous people. He prayed to his Father and he said, he prayed that his joy would be in us, that our joy might be full. He does not want to take your joy away. He wants to increase it. He does not want to take anything out of your life that might profit your life. He's taken everything out of your life that's going to hinder your life. If you are hanging back from following Christ and making Him number one in your life and being serious about His Word and following Him, believe me, the things that you think that you're sacrificing that will make you feel good are dragging you down. They're of no profit. Not only did Jesus say in John 10.10 10 about the abundant life he came to give, he also said what the devil, your chief adversary, is doing, just the opposite. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus said, but I have come to give life and life abundantly. Let's take that seriously. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. He's our example. That was uh, Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, by the way. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. We so in tears here. But we're going to reap with joy unspeakable, Peter says, and full of glory. Are we serious? <laughs> I'll put something before you and you and you you think about this. There's two serious things in this life apart from you. God, the Lord Jesus Christ is serious about his love for you and his life that he has. And he wants to live through you. He is serious. But yet your enemy is seriously bent on your destruction. Seriously bent on, on taking your joy and your testimony. You choose this day whom you're going to serve. Let's be serious. Let's minister with the ability which God gives. In the belly of verse 11, that all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Is that the number one thing in your life? It should be. I want Christ glorified. I want Him glorified in my life. I want Him glorified in the foundation of life. I want Him glorified in the way that we live. Because it's coming, folks, sooner than you think it will be. Beloved, think it not strange. Verse 12, he goes on to a, a, a more enacting way of, of looking at the seriousness of Christ. You know, Satan does not concern himself with the sleeping dogs, only with the barking ones. And that's a famous saying, I don't know who said it. But what it means is, is when we don't take our life seriously and, and we just lay dormant and you know we, we do the routine of, of church and everything else, we don't give walking with Christ a second thought. We're no threat. See, because Satan can't get our souls. Once Christ has our souls and we are his, 
Satan cannot touch us. Great as he was in you and he was in the world. But he can steal our joy. He can kill our testimony. He can make us depressed and, and aggravated and uh, ill-effective, non-praying, non-committal, non-hospitable, non-loving, and so forth. But to the one who has all things seriously before him, look at verse 12 closely. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. You know, one of the greatest things that I've ever learned about trial, and I hope that I shared it effectively when I've shared it, is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. One of the first scriptures that I've ever real recognized. Temptation itself is not sin. It's what we do with it. You might have a temptation for alcohol. You might have a temptation for sex. You might have a temptation for pornography. You might have a temptation for uh, money, for, for greed, for you, you name it. The decision has to be made now what your answer is going to be when that temptation comes. So when it does come, not if, but when it comes, the decision has been made. I am Jesus and he is mine. He's the king of my life. He's the Lord and Savior of my soul. I follow him no matter what. Be serious because the end of all things is at hand. So when that temptation comes, and it will, the decision has already been made. Jesus is Lord. First Corinthians third, chapter 10, verse 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Be serious. He is so worthy. He's the Lord. Wow. Some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice, verse 13, to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. <laughs> you know, Jesus, they, they were constantly harassing him, and, and he went through trial, and, and uh, he was crucified. They hated him. They called him Beelzebub, which means the prince of the flies. It was, it, it was a, a derogatory, if you will, uh, relation to uh, Satan, basically, to demonic influences. We see these people hated Christ to the extent that they committed, at that point, the impardonable sin. They committed to the glory of God to Satan. The marvelous works of Christ to Satan. When we are serious about Christ, and people are going to laugh at us, and they're going to think that we're stupid, ridiculous. They're going to say that this is life. Well, we can see, what we can feel, what we can test, what we can taste. What do you mean you're committing yourself? You can't even see. And how do you know this is going to happen? And so forth. And they'll commit blasphemy against your Lord. They're going to talk ill against you. We have brethren right now, as I speak, that are being beaten and imprisoned, tongues cut out, heads cut off, beaten unmercifully, women being taken, children being kidnapped, on cruel, I mean, just cruel death right now. It's happening now for the sake of Christ. This is but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Paul says, if you live godly, you're going to be in Christ Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. But he says, when... His glory, His glory, Jesus, is revealed. You may be glad with exceeding joy. 
And I can tell you, it's all going to be worth it. In fact, it's going to be incomparable to the fact of when we stand before our Lord. These are, this is nothing. What we thought was so important will be nothing. Doing His will, being in fellowship with Him, loving one another, serving one another, that's what's important. It says in verse 14, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On, but on their part, he's blasphemed. But on your part, he is glorified. We all know, you know, we've read this before. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, Blessed are you when people revile and persecute you. Say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. Now he was talking primarily in this discourse to his brethren, the Jews. But this is for us as well, brethren. People are going to talk about you. You're not going to be a favorable one. You just try writing something about God in the scriptures in the local paper and see how much people will go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. They're going to revile you. They're going to persecute you. Never mind that. Great is your reward in heaven. You need the prophets, Jeremiah. God says, you do what I tell you and I will make your face like flint. I'm the one that will give you solidity. I'm the, don't, don't worry about their faces. You know? Boy, I used to know right away when my mom or dad was upset with me. Didn't have to say a word. My accountant said it all. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. That is the goal of people that are serious about following Christ. They know that the time is short because they know the word of God. They know what, what this world is going exactly the way that, that the Lord prophesied, the way that it said. They know that time is short, mainly as well. And in the church, look at the, look at the, the, uh, the churches in Revelation, those seven churches there. God is basically saying, hey, the time is short, repent. I stand at the door and knock in the lay of the sea in church. But you're not letting me in. Because you think everything's great. Everything's fine. I don't need anything. I would encourage all of you to really start looking at reading about this professing church that has overtaken this country like a storm. And you would be amazed. They're not serious about Christ. They're serious about their agenda. They're not serious about being found clothed in Him. They are serious about the good things that they have and the good things that they can do. But Jesus didn't say that. And I'm so thankful to my brother Mark Cahill for opening up more abundantly to me that scripture God used him Jesus is looking at that Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. He said that this church was saying, we're, we're, we don't need anything. We don't need anything. We're, we're, we're flourishing. But he said, don't you know that you're poor, miserable, blind, and naked? Let me in. I'm knocking. Anyone who hears my voice, let me in. Yes, I believe that could be used for evangelistic. Uh, of course, Christ is speaking today, and a lot of those that are here today, Christ is speaking now. You're a sinner. You need me. You need salvation. You need forgiveness of sin. But here we're dealing with the church. We're dealing with those that, those that are in the church now that need to wake up. They need to repent of their sin. They need to give their lethargic lifestyle a boot out the door. And proclaim that from now on, this day forward, the decision's been made. Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. 
Verse 15 says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. If anyone suffers as a Christian, you know, the Bible says that people that follow Christ were first called Christians in Antioch. That's where sometimes you find this little, what they used to call ichthyus, you know, this little fish on people's uh, bumper stickers or whatever. Tradition has it that back then the persecution was so tremendous that they would use that symbol to communicate to one another that they were followers of Jesus Christ. But they suffered horribly as a Christian, not to be ashamed. Don't be ashamed to stand up for the Bible. Don't be ashamed to stand up for what Jesus said. Don't be ashamed to stand up for God and His Word. Don't be ashamed to stand up for the principles that God Himself I was told the other day, well, you know, the golden rule was just to explain many of the ways Jesus just said it one way. No. The golden rule is Christ and Christ alone. That's a falsity. That's something that people have been taught to coexist, to bring all religions. We all say the same thing. No, we don't. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sin." He is he the Lord God Almighty or he's a deluded maniac. He is the Lord that came down in human flesh to die for the sin of the world. He offers forgiveness and newness of life. Everlasting life with him. The complete obliviation of sin. <clears throat> verse 17. For the time has come. Brethren, the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? The time has come for judgment to, be, to begin in the house of God. Folks, that time is for us today. Paul said this, and I, I love it. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, listen to this. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. That is his bride. This is his body. This is his remnant that he is cleansing by the washing of what? The word. Not programs, not seeker friendly, not all these other things, but the word of God. Not agnosticism. Well, you know, it's creeping into the church today. People say, well, wait a minute. Uh, now, agnosticism basically means that there could or couldn't be a God, but you surely can't prove it. Well, isn't that what it's saying by tearing apart the Word of God? It's saying there's, there's myths. There's myths in Genesis. There's myths in Jonah. There's myths in other parts. They're all myths. Well, if Jesus said, I go away to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back, why, why should that be a myth? Does Jehovah's Witnesses say that's a myth? He's already come back. And he's ruling and reigning from heaven. So why don't we... Why don't we call agnosticism what it really is. Well, you know, that, that's what it means to you. No. That's what the scripture plainly says. But the time's come. And if the time was coming in the first century, 
Because you see, within the first 65, 70 years after Jesus ascended, boy, I'll tell you what, that's when a lot of false teaching crept in like a flood. Like a flood. Science tells us when we get a vacuum created and and an opening of that vacuum comes in, what happens? It fills itself rapidly. This is what happens to the first century church. And it has been been non-stop ever since. It's been repackaged. It's been renamed. It's been reclaimed. But it is still the same adversary that is destroying the work of God or trying to destroy it. It's time for judgment to begin in the house of God. Because he's going to represent his bride to himself holy without blemish. Wait a minute. I thought I was holy without blemish. I thought I didn't have any sin because Christ took it. Yes, Christ did take it. But some of your character needs polishing. Some of your people's direction needs to be redirected. Some of your sins need to be confessed. Some of you need to turn to the one you call Lord and stop being a traitor and give him his rightful due. Yes, judgment is beginning in the house of God. And if it begins with us first, the Bible says in the latter part of verse 17, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? What's going to be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? That's a, I'll tell you what's going to be the end. Paul tells you. Listen to this. <laughs> These are strong words. Since it is a righteous thing with God, repay with tribulation those who trouble you. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, by the way. And to give you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to explain, and we punish with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. So God is refining and, and, and purifying his church. If he's doing that for us, what's it going to be of those who do not obey the gospel, what's it going to be the unsaved? Let's get serious. Verse 18, Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? You know, that's a that it comes off of a translation actually from Proverbs 11, which says that the righteous will be compensed on the earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner. So in verse 18 again, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? We are saved by one thing and one thing only, and that's the shed blood of Jesus Christ. God sent him as a sacrifice for our sin. And he was satisfied with that sacrifice. And three days later, he rose his son from the dead. And he's king. And he's Lord. And he's coming back. That's the only way that we will be saved. That's the only way to have complete forgiveness of sins. We cannot forgive ourselves. We cannot pay for what was done. We are in a predicament that we must need forgiveness of sins or else we will answer for them before God Almighty Himself. What a terrifying thing to know that we will have to give an account of our sins to God. I can remedy that by turning to Christ as my sin bearer and coming to Him and having my sins forgiven. My name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's the only way to be saved. And that took the Son of God. That didn't just take God going, well, you know what? You asked for forgiveness. Okay, I'll tell you what. I forgive you. 
No, God's justice demands payment. And Jesus paid the price for sin on the cross. So my payment has been paid by Christ himself. I am God's precious possession now. Those without Christ must give an account for their sin. They cannot pay that price for sin. That's a horrible, costly price that they are unable to pay. We all know it. Nobody lives up to the light of their conscience. So if we are saved by the blood of Christ, it took God sending His own Son so that we might be saved. Where are the ungodly and the sinner going to appear? They're going to appear before the great great white throne judgment. They're going to appear before God. See, they think, well, when I when I die, I'll just give them a short short account and a, and a good resume and everything before God. No, they don't understand. When you die right now as a sinner without Christ, you go into a place called Hades, and you're waiting there. It's a fearful thing. You're going to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait, knowing, because the veil is taken away, knowing where you are, knowing the judgments to come. So when that day comes, you will be lifted out of Hades by God Himself, set before the throne of God, and judged for your sin, and banished out of darkness. That's where the unsaved are. It took God's only begotten Son to live a life for us, to take our sin upon Himself, the totality of it, the totality of God's justice, had to be satisfied, and the only way to do it was have payment for sin, and Christ paid it on the cross. And God said, this is the sacrifice that I will accept, and he raised him from the dead. And our job is to go out and tell people, that's the truth. That is the truth. The end of all things is at hand. Be serious. And watchful in your prayers. Are you serious about Jesus Christ? And I will end here. Verse 19. Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God. Commit their souls to him. In doing good as to a faithful creator. Let's read that again for a fresh. Maybe for the first time. Those of us might have read it hundreds of times. Therefore let us suffer according to the will of God. Commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful what? Creator. Creator. This world where the unsaved have fun and play and party and commit all kinds of of, of flagrant sin. Don't give God a second chance. This whole world is their playground. God created it. For their enjoyment, and yet they're taking it, they're, they're spitting in his face. We have been redeemed. But the word here, commit. Have you committed your souls to him? Are you serious? Commitment, we all know what commitment is. Commitment's no bars holding back. You either commit 100% or you don't. That's not commitment. You can't commit 99% and say that's commitment. That is not commitment. Look at it in the dictionary. What is commitment? It's all or nothing. It is all or nothing. That's what commitment means. We commit. Jesus, the scripture said he committed. When he was being reviled, he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus committed. As our example, we need to commit. If you've only committed to God anything under 100%, my friend, you are not committing. You are playing word games with God. And you are flirting with a life that he is seriously bent on, on, uh, on you taking seriously. I'll end with this. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. For this reason I also suffer these things. But nevertheless I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against or until that day. Paul was committed. 
Paul was persuaded. He knew who he called upon. He knew who he committed his life to. And once you do that, your joy will flow. You'll start seeing prayers answered. Even if they don't come to you in the answer that you want, you will know instinctively because you know Him and you're serious about Him. No is an answer. No is an answer of love. That's what that is. When I was 13 years old, I was bent on getting a dirt bike. My father, no, no, no. I didn't realize until years later that we had friends of family that had a dirt bike in a serious accident, and he was in a, a body cast from the neck down for six months. I didn't know that. My dad was protecting me. Years later, I went off a jump on a 10-speed and landed on the front bars and did, uh, did myself great harm. If that was a 10-speed, what would be the way on a dirt bike? My dad knew. That's a poor example, but no in an answer to prayer is an answer of love. When God says no, he loves you. And when he says yes, he'll bless you with all things richly to enjoy. But when we suffer, let's commit our souls. Let's commit ourselves this morning. If we aren't fully committed to Christ, let's don't walk out of here or get off listening to this message without committing ourselves to Christ. 100% being serious about these things, being serious about the Bible. Do we all read our Proverbs every day, for example? Do we know the Bible? Do you know something about Genesis? Do we know something about Exodus? Are we into Leviticus? Do we know these some of these things? Do we know what, what, where we can find the life of Solomon in, in 1 Kings? Do we know where we can find the life of David in 1 Samuel, going to 2 Samuel and all that? Do we, know, do we know these things? Let's get into them and know them. Let's know the Word of God, but most importantly, let's get to know Him who has revealed Himself in His Word. Let's commit ourselves to Him as to a faithful Creator. Mike, do you want to pray, please? Father, we need your help to walk seriously, um, soberly considering the instructions that you've given us this morning. Uh, help us to be transformed by these truths, Lord. Help us to walk out of here being willing to uh, suffer for your perfect will, proving that will as we walk out uh, being under the truths of the gospel. Please help us as a fellowship to apply the gifting that you have given to each one of us that we would function and build each other up. That we would be a good example to our culture of today that is so contrary to the word that they might have a, a good representation walking before them of true followers and lords of you. Bless our time of fellowship come back after uh, the service. That may be glorified. Amen. You know,